When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Miller Report with Suzanne Miller on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now, here's Suzanne Miller. Welcome to the Miller Report. I'm Suzanne Miller. Today, I am so proud, so proud to have who I think is the most knowledgeable man I know in real estate. And I'm really saying that because I believe it. He's a friend. He's also an attorney. He's the former president of City Habitat. Now he's the chief operating officer of the Corcoran Group, Gary Mallon. Welcome to the Miller Report. Well, I hope I can live up to that billing. It's a pretty tough road to hoe right now. <laughs> well, Corcoran was just rated the number one brokerage in New York, so I think you have a lot to tell us. <laughs> well, yes. Well, I'm very fortunate. We have a lot of great agents, have a great company, great history, great culture. So very fortunate to be in the position we're in for sure. So Gary... I mean, it's a very untrying time for us, very trying time, excuse me. I mean, banks are closing. We've got mortgage rates, interest rates high. People are nervous. People are losing jobs. These crime, this homelessness. Tell us what's going on. What's happening in our city? I mean, look, obviously we're going through a lot right now and there's a lot of stress on many different factors. But I always believe in the upside of New York City. I always believe that there's cycles in New York City. We went through COVID. And then when we came out of COVID, the real estate market was literally on fire. The most dynamic real estate market that anyone has seen anywhere, not just in New York City, around the country. So you can't necessarily always keep up that level of pace, that level of business, and that level of demand. Obviously, a lot of it was fueled by people wanting to be out of wherever they were. They wanted more space. Interest rates were incredibly low. There was a different dynamic. So then all of a sudden, the market shifted, the market changed, and it felt more pronounced because it sort of felt like it fell off a cliff come like last June, July versus a slow step down. You got to be always worried about crime. You got to be worried about the economy. But I think the long-term health and wealth of New York City always finds its footing. And then once it does, people sort of forget that there was that hiccup in time when the market was struggling. So with interest rates so high and banks failing... Do you think that it's going to be almost impossible to get a mortgage now? Like a friend of mine tried to apply and was just told no today, this morning. Look, I think you have to look at all the reasons why some of the banks just failed. And I don't think all banks are created equal. You know, if you look at Silicon Valley Bank, their circumstances were very much tied to the tech industry and interest rates. And then all of a sudden, it was an old-fashioned run on the bank. Theirs were very specific circumstances. Another one was very tied to crypto. And, you know, all these things play a role in how banks survive and operate. But if you look at your tried and true bigger banks, more stable banks, I don't think this is like looking at 2008. And yes, there might be a shift in time where people might have to look for different mortgage lenders. But in the end, if you're financially qualified, you will get a mortgage. Maybe you're not going to love your interest rates. So I would say do an IO, do an ARM, do something. But if you want to get a loan, you can get a loan provided you're qualified. But that is no different than any other time. It's just the cost of borrow are different now. So that's optimistic. I like that. 
Tell me what your prediction is of the sales market based on all of this. I mean, look, the sales market always has cycles, right? The price is escalated to a very high point and interest rates were low. So it fueled demand. So right now you're in a situation where interest rates are high. So you do have certain sellers that say to themselves, unless I need to move, why would I move? Because if my interest rate is 3%, why would I want to go buy something and pay 6.5%, So some of them just say to themselves, there's really no reason for me to move from property A to property B. I talk to my brokers and my brokers tell me they have lots of buyers. The buyers are finally capitulated to the market, that they understand prices are where they are and they're lower than they were before. They understand that interest rates are higher, but if you look at what you were gonna put down before on a higher price department, and you put down the same amount of money now, as opposed to being so fixated on an interest rate, look at what your monthly payments are. Do a short-term loan, and then eventually refinance. Banks are offering people opportunities to refinance. So my agents tell me it's not necessarily about lack of demand, it's about lack of inventory. And sooner or later, that will figure itself out because in the end, people need to move, right? They need to move whether their family is expanding, they're leaving the city, they don't like their location, they want a different type of apartment. So I think activity will come, but it just it feels more painful because it was so strong not that long ago. Well, I do think that a lot of it is psychological, right? So people have to start getting on the bandwagon. And I do agree with you. They need a place to live. And perhaps with the bank struggling, people will take will want to have an asset like commodities, like gold or real estate is what I'm telling people at Empire. So what's your take on that? I mean, look, I think people need to realize that is it your home or is it an investment? Like, how are you looking at your asset? If it's your home, you need to find a place to live. You want to find a place you're happy with, you're excited about, and you plan on putting down roots. If you're buying it as an investment, that's a completely different story. So maybe it's not for certain people the best time to buy an investment. But then again, I would argue prices are down. Negotiability is still available in this marketplace. You know, I would say give or take five to seven percent off is sort of the average negotiability rate right now. So everyone always wants to time the market perfectly. I want to buy at a low. I want to sell at a high. I want to figure out the perfect interest rates. Most times people don't know the market was right or wrong until it's in the rear view mirror. So look at your personal circumstances and start focusing on that versus always focusing on the interest rate because you could play around with it where your payment could be what you want it to be. So typically, when rents are high, sales are down. And when sales are high, rents are down. Right now, there is so much demand for rental, particularly in New York. I would like to understand from you what you think is going to happen in the rental market. Well, the rental market vacancy rate right now is over 2%. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but for New York City, 2% is a high number. You know, during the Great Recession, it was the highest. It was just under 2.5% when the national vacancy rate back then was 10%. About how many apartments does that equal? It's very hard to say. I don't really actually know because the truth is between rent stabilized, you know, free market, I don't have an exact count. But I'm just saying the way we look at it and the way we've always been measuring it, it's a little over 2%. So that doesn't sound like a lot, but to a New York City landlord, it is a lot. I think what's interesting in the rental market right now is there's still people whose deals were sort of, I call them COVID deals, where the owner gave them maybe a two-year lease because they didn't know how long the market was going to be struggling, and then they gave them free rent. So let's say a 24-month lease became a 27-month lease, possibly, even a 28-month lease. So it sort of rigged the market where it used to have good normal ebb and flows where, you know, you come into May, June, July, and August, it was the busiest time of the year. People graduating college, grad school, those that moved. So there's a lot of demand. There's not a tremendous amount of inventory, but I'm very interested to see what happens in the market over the next few months. 
Because, listen, with all the layoffs that you're hearing about, yesterday I read again that I think Facebook's looking to fire 10,000 more people. Mm-hmm. And all the other layoffs that you've heard. And sort of people do have the opportunity to still work, not necessarily where they live, right? There is still hybrid work. So the question is, how much can tenants afford? So it'll be interesting when these apartments start to hit the market. Can the market sustain itself with all of this? I'm not exactly sure it's going to go down tremendously, but I think more inventory will come to the market. There'll be a little more negotiability. But in the end, New York's always a draw. People want to live here. Go look on the streets. There's people walking around all over. There's still traffic everywhere. Yes, the city has its issues to some degree that need to be cleaned up, especially as it relates to crime. But people want to live here. So in the last two years, a half a million people left, a lot of them to Florida. So how do we attract them back? Well, I think that people some degree overestimate the fact that people leave the city. People have always left the city, right? Whether it's you want to move to the suburbs because you just want to get out of the city for X amount of time. I'm a perfect example. I moved out of the city 22 years ago. I'm moving back in in two months. So the reality is there's always life reasons why you move in, why you move out. And listen, during COVID, where Florida became the rage, everyone wanted to go down there. Why? Very loose you know, rules regarding COVID. Warm weather. People didn't understand COVID as much as they understand it now. Tax situation is far better. And opportunities just felt better. And if you didn't need to live in New York City, but you could still keep your job, Who doesn't want to go live in 80 degree weather versus like, you know, the Nor'easter that just rolled through here? So I don't have the specific numbers, but when a vacancy rate is only at 2%, when people tell you there's no inventory to really buy, that sort of tells you that this concept that people have vacated New York City isn't actually real. But there's always reasons to leave New York City, right? But there's always reasons to come back. I really do enjoy and admire your optimism. And I'm also optimistic. And I think that New York will come back. I've seen a lot of things. The biggest concern for me right now, and I want your take on this, is all this office buildings, all this vacancy. These landlords are giving back keys. They're saying they have this good guy clause in the leases, which basically say, you know, you take the keys back, I'm closing up, bye. Who's going to, what's going to happen to these buildings? And what about the taxes on that? Well, I mean, look, there's a tale of two sort of markets in the office market where people are going as a flight to quality, from what I understand. I'm not an office broker, but I hear like the top flight buildings are the ones that are really getting demand, getting activity, you know, over $100 a foot rents. Because in the end, if a company is going to downsize its footprint, they want to have nicer offices. So they want to attract their people back to the office. So that does leave like the class B or lower office building somewhat in jeopardy if, in fact, people don't have to come back to the office as much as they did. The city needs to do something about rezoning. All you hear is about housing, 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 lack thereof. Yet every time an opportunity comes to rezone, you know, FAR changes, legalized basement apartments, everything that you talk about, this city fights it and fights it and fights it. I think we have a political battle going on. And I don't necessarily understand why, if you can do a nice office conversion, that you wouldn't find a way to make that happen. But they drive such a hard bargain about what they want in order to accomplish that, that no developer can financially afford to do it. So there's like a push and a pull. The developers would love to convert some of these buildings, but if the tax incentives or if the other things don't line up or you're demanding too much affordable housing, so therefore it's not profitable, 
they're not going to do it. So there has to be a public-private partnership. So just partnership. so we're clear, so everybody can understand, what you're really saying is converting it to residential is what you mean could be, yes. the, that's what you're proposing. Right, like some of these office buildings are probably not going to be as in demand as pure office buildings as they once were. There's legislation out there that always seems to get knocked down about how to turn certain business districts into residential. But they drive such a hard bargain about what they want that if it doesn't make sense for a developer to do so, they're not going to do so. Like they have to give them the opportunity to make money and create value. It has to be fair on both sides. But a lot of the politicians and the city council members simply want what they want, what they want. And if they don't get what they want, they're not willing to play ball. And that's their right to do so sitting in their position. But they don't expect a developer to make the financial investment and take the risk if it doesn't work out. They're not, you know, public housing providers, right? They're more than happy to do their share and provide affordable housing as long as they can make money along the way as well. It has to be fair. And this city doesn't want to make it fair these days. Good point. Let's talk about that for a minute. I do want to talk about what Kathy Hochul is doing. So basically, in the past, every city itself would make a decision about how they wanted to have their housing. Kathy Hochul wants to take it away from the local zoning and have Albany decide where they should put affordable housing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is your feeling about that? Well, I just read a story that morning that seems to be dead in the water, <laughs> apparently, that people are going to fight that really hard. Once again, I just think it has to come down to sensibility and rationality. Common sense. And there just is none. And it's like, you got to look at what you're trying to accomplish. You have to understand how you're going to get there. And everyone has to work together. Unfortunately, this city has become so incredibly polarized. It's either on one side or the other. And the best situation, in my personal opinion, is always find a way to the middle. The best negotiation is life when two people walk away not getting everything they wanted, but they got enough to move ahead. Right now, everyone is so firmly entrenched. There was a story, and I don't remember how long ago it was, and my facts are not going to be 100% right, but a developer wanted to build a building somewhere up in Harlem. And I believe he was willing to do 50% affordable when the law did not require 50%. And the city council member said, unless you do almost all affordable, we're not going to allow you to build your building. You know what happened? Didn't build the building and they lost hundreds of units that were affordable. So how can you say you need affordable housing? Someone's willing to go beyond what the law is. And then you basically say, no, that's not enough. I think that's called politics. <laughs> What's well, called, you know, stubbornness. I don't know if it's called politics anymore. I think people have to be rational. And unfortunately, until people are rational, you're going to be have a very difficult time to build any housing. The 421A expiration. There's not a lot of new, you know, buildings being built right now. You said that it was not renewed, correct? Why not don't you explain to us what 421A is? It just provides an owner tax incentives to build housing. And simply because of cost of construction, cost of land, cost of materials, you name it, New York City is an extraordinarily expensive place to build. So you need to incentivize people to build. And so if you don't, they won't. And that's why right now we're in a situation where there's a housing crisis, yet no one wants to fix the housing crisis because they basically want private developers to build public housing. 
and there's no financial incentive for them to do it. That's why it's like everyone has to like get in a room, sit down, talk rationally and figure out a way to help both sides achieve their goals. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like anyone wants to do that. But if you put me in the room, that's what I would hope to accomplish. Okay, I'm voting for you. <laughs> Please do. You can be, uh, I'll go with you. We'll be partners. Uh, so let's talk about one of your big expertise is marketing. That's what you do all day long. So it used to be the New York Times. Then it was Street Easy. If I want to sell my home, what do you see the best way to do it now? I mean, look, the Real Estate Board in New York has launched what's called City Snap. It's still in its sort of growth and building out phase. People need to realize, like, like you said, years ago, the New York Times was the gold standard. Right. Everyone would have said the New York Times is the only place to list your home for rent or for sale. They then went away. Craigslist came in. They then went away. Street Easy exists today. And now there's going to be City Snap, which once it gets up and running, people need to realize you can't throw a new website or a new app out and then in within 12 to 18 or 24 months, you know, supplant the person or a firm that's been around for 15, 20 years. It's like the Mafia Street Easy, though. So how are we going to... Listen, I just think in the end, the internet is the equalizing factor of everything. If Street Easy or any company that had market share in any market went out of business for whatever their circumstances were, you'd still be able to rent or find a home to buy on the internet because there's something called Google and people search and people can find what they want. Corkin, as an example, spends a tremendous amount of money building out our website, making sure our SEO is really great. Our inventory, our name, our recognition, our business draws people in. Social media draws people in. So in the end, you have to look at it that in New York City right now, the vast, vast, vast majority of homes that are sold are co-broked. So if any one in particular website was so dominant at what they were doing, you would assume there'd be more direct deals. But in fact, it's still a co-broke community. So there's always ways to sell homes. There's always ways to buy homes. There's always ways to rent home. And if people want to put their time and effort into a new platform, that new platform will eventually rise because if it gets the will of the brokerage community and consumers, then ultimately you have another place. New York Times doesn't exist anymore for home search. So that could happen to any company. So speaking of marketing, I've read, and this is going to be interesting to watch, some of these smaller companies now are coming up and they're trying to cut commissions, flat fees. They're going to sell your apartment for you know, $1,000. What do you think about that during these times? There's plenty of companies that have tried that. And the last time I checked, none of them still exist here in New York City. I'm not saying that change can't happen. For anyone to sit here and say it couldn't happen, I think that you would be sort of foolish not to realize that the world can change. But it's typically an individual's single most important and expensive asset they own. Are you going to trust someone who's going to phone it in for $1,000 and not necessarily spend the money on marketing it properly, not necessarily how to negotiate properly, try to sell it quickly at the lowest possible price? Is that really what you want as a seller? I don't think so. I think it's like anything else. Are you going to go to the cheapest doctor if you have a really serious problem? Are you going to go negotiate with your doctor to work for $100 and then get the worst care? I just think it's a matter of there are certain people who will be drawn to what appears to be the right price. But I always say to yourself, at what cost did you actually lose by going with this alternative? So that's not a threat to Corcoran. I don't think it's a threat to Corcoran. I think that we're in the luxury market, that we're really good at what we do. We have incredible agents who have incredible relationships, and they're the best at what they do. Historically, in every industry, the best at what they do get paid for what they do. 
So I'm not going to say some firms can't come in here, but if the agents themselves don't elect to work at firms like that, then you're never going to get that level of business. Years ago, what was it? Foxton's came into New York City, Purple Bricks, I think, if I'm not mistaken, offering all this. I don't think either one of them exists today in New York City. That doesn't mean it can't, and it doesn't mean it won't, but historically speaking, people want to pay for service. Okay, we're running out of time. I have two more questions for you. Let's just talk for a minute about the Florida market. I mean, I want an overall, like so many people are going there. I understand that. But what do you think about the growth and an investor there that wants to leave New York? Do you think it's a good opportunity for an investment of your home, which is such an important asset? I mean, I think it depends on who you are. And what's important to you, what stage of life that you're in. The companies are going there. I'm reading Goldman Sachs. Well, listen, the reality is when you have a more business-friendly climate versus, let's say, New York City, a less tax-burdensome place, less crime, clearly it has a draw and it clearly has an attraction. But then again, New York City is still a, a draw. It is still an attraction and people still want to live here. So it depends on where you are in your arc of your career, your business, your life. Florida is a great place. I'm not going to say it's not. It's beautiful. It's nice weather, you know, but is it the culture you want? Is it the environment you want? Is it the schooling you want? I don't know. I can't say because I live here, but I just think there's always going to be reasons to live there and there's always going to be reasons to live here. My specific question about that is, do you think that the market will continue to go up there and it's a good opportunity to purchase there or has it reached its high? Listen, right now it's inventory challenged in many instances. So if there's inventory issues, prices remain high. If all of a sudden inventory levels come high, people start to want to say to themselves, maybe this isn't my community that I want to be in permanently. I thought it was where I wanted to be. Listen, prices don't go up forever. All right. That's the one people think they need to realize. There's markets, there's cycles. So yes, their market's going to come down at a certain point. Our market comes down. But you know then what happens? Once you find its footing and interest comes back, Prices go up again. So I always tell people, you cannot time a market, okay? You just simply can't. The only thing you could do is make the best decision for you in the moment. Make the decision, live with it, figure it out down the road. Because in the end, if all you're going to do is wait, you know what you're going to do? Wait forever. I like that, Gary. So if I were an investor, and there's a lot of people listening to this today, and you could advise us because I did give you this great intro about how (laughs) smart you are and how much you know about the real estate business. So think about it a minute. And if I had a half a million dollars and I was going to invest anywhere in the United States, tell us, where should we invest? I mean, look, a half a million dollars in a New million, York. Let's make it a, between a half a million and one million. You know, listen, when you're talking about a half a million to a million dollars in New York City, it doesn't necessarily take you that far, right? So the question then becomes is, what is your plan with this asset? How long do you want to hold on to this asset? If you don't want to hold on to this asset for a long period of time, the cost going in and the cost going out on a million dollars here would probably not make it your best investment. You can go to other markets where you can probably buy a few different homes for a million dollars and you could rent them out because one of the biggest challenges in the market right place in the for sale market is so many companies have bought wide amounts of homes in certain locations that used to be for sale individual homes that are now for rent. So maybe you could take those assets and turn them into rental income, turn them into Airbnb properties. So, you know, that amount of money- Are you touching on my business? I'm not getting close <laughs> to your business. We're friends. Like the last thing I want to do is get in your business. I'm afraid of you. But like, I just think in those instances, you're probably going to get a better return in certain markets. But long-term, I think people always say New York's done. It's never done. 
No, we know that. It's just a cycle. After, you know, the Great Recession, all the negativity that surrounded New York City and its pricing and its valuation and what the future, look what happened. So we have to have perspective and we have to have history to realize market shift, markets change, and then they come back and then they pull back again. It's like the stock market, you know, it doesn't go up forever. But then all of a sudden, when the economics makes sense, it does go up again. So people have to sort of moderate and realize there's no such thing as up forever. And if they can handle that, they'll make the right investment for themselves. Personally, I think that when you buy stocks is when you have a stomachache, right? When it's low. So maybe this would be the time to purchase in New York. I have a lot of friends who are contemplating buying in New York City. And then they're they're talking about the interest rate. I'm like, if the apartment you are going to buy, let's just say, went down 10% in price, I don't care what price point. Let's just say it went down 10% and you plan on putting down the same amount of money that you were going to put down before. So now you bought something at a better price than it was 6, 12, 18 months ago, whatever it is. And yes, your interest rate's a little higher. But if you apply your interest rate and let's say you do an arm or an interest only loan, are you really focused on the interest rate or you should be focused on the payment? I'd be focused on the payment. If the payment is the same as it was before, now you got an asset for a better price and eventually interest rates will moderate to some degree, whatever it is. Or people are going to have to get used to the fact that interest rates aren't going to be 3% and you're going to have to deal with that, right? My dad always tells me, when I first bought my home, it was 17%. I'm like, okay, I get that. Like, And that's his perspective, which is, so to him, 6%, although expensive compared to three is cheap compared to what it was. So people are just going to have to understand whatever that new normal is. But if you need to buy a home and you want to lay down roots, then you buy an apartment and you figure out the rest over the course of time. So you're really saying it's level-headed that we need and nobody should panic. The city's going to be okay. And we're going to have these ups and downs. But in the end, real estate is always the safest is really what you're saying. And Listen, this is my perspective. I've been in this business for 25 years. And there's been a lot of shocks to the system, whether it was what happened tragically after 9-11, whether it was the Great Recession, whether it was COVID. The system has always had shocks and it takes time to absorb those shocks and then it takes time to reverse. So my position is history tells you that things are going to change. And so right now you're in a down cycle, but the history will tell you down cycles end and then an upcycle comes. Opportunities with down cycles. I think, listen, if you can buy something for 10, 15% less than it was before, and your interest rate's a couple points higher, but you did a short-term loan, you're probably going to land up in a really good position in a few years. And you'll be thankful that you didn't sort of become paralyzed by analyzing the market and you just jumped in and made a good decision. Well, that's great. I have one last question for you. Yes. Who do you admire most in the real estate business? My dad. Okay. Tell us about him. My foundation is a person, honesty, integrity, working hard, doing the right thing always comes from him and everything he's always sort of instilled in me. You know, he owns a lot of real estate, you know, outside of the city in other markets and like just listening to him and understanding sort of his perspective and just always doing the right thing sort of always has put me on that path. So I always say that he's the foundation that I have from my business perspective in life because I watched it. So what did he teach you the most about making you successful? First of all, work hard. You know, do the right thing. Does that mean go to the office? Well, I mean, you can work hard anywhere you want to work. So I'm moving into the city, Suzanne, to be near you and my office. The reality is he's just up. You work hard. You do the right thing. 
and good things will come from that. And like, he's just always straightforward. He's always honest. He always works hard. You know, he's in the office every day. He's, you know, in his eighties and he loves what he does. And I think if you love what you do, it doesn't make a difference if it's real estate or any other business. But for me, you know, he was someone that I watched do what he did and built the business. And for me, it's just go to work. And your little lessons your family teaches you over the course of time, right? Like that you don't understand as a kid, once you start practically applying them in life, you start to realize like, oh, it absorbed. I just didn't realize until 20 years later. Well, I hope your dad is listening to this show and he should be very proud My of you. My dad's in Palm Springs having fun from what I understand. <laughs> well, Gary, thank you so much. This has been very insightful and I think that you have great ideas and thanks for coming on the Miller it Report. It is my pleasure. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Dear listeners, thank you for coming on my podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please download, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much. Bye. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.